Welcome to Ascending Olympus, the Edge of the Crowds Olympics and Paralympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie, and tonight, just a few days into the Commonwealth Games, as always, I'm joined by Dan, but we do have a very special guest tonight, and that is another member of Edge of the Crowd, Stewie. So how are you both tonight? I'm going good, thanks, mate. I'm excited to be on the pod, Ascending Olympus. I've got to be honest, ever since I joined Edge of the Crowd, I've had my eye on getting a spot on this pod <laughs> So uh, I can't wait to get into it, mate. Let's uh, let's get it cracking. Well, if we'd known that, we would have had you on weeks ago. Because uh, <laughs> I have to say, having worked with you on a couple of the other pods, it's always good fun. But Jackie, it's good to have multi-event sports back on again. It's I forget how much fun it is to just be able to turn on and watch 20 hours of sport a day. Yeah, for sure. And you'll also forget what sleep feels like in a couple of days. So, you um, know... I've- I lost that weeks ago with the tour. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's true. Um, But as we've said, it is just a few days into the Commonwealth Games and we decided to mix things up for the Com Games. Uh, We're actually going to do top fives from each day, or in this case on day one, where we start off top four plus a dishonorable mention. So we're going to start with said dishonorable mention. And that is from the opening ceremony. Um, both Lenny Henry's performance there and just the ugly formal team uniforms from Australia. <laughs> I've got to be honest, I was saying off mic before about Lenny Henry. It was like if you if your buddy who's just not funny tells you he's doing stand-up and you know you're his go-to guy to go and watch him. You're just watching and thinking, oh geez, this is no good, mate. And uh just another one. I'm kind of spreading this one on you guys, but it just uh just came back to me. Uh, Duran Duran, that was the best that Birmingham could do for the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony. I'm going to be honest. I was really hoping to see Tommy Shelby open the games because, like, that's Birmingham to me. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> look, I I think Duran Duran is a good guilty pleasure. I don't think it's necessarily what you choose to use um there's plenty of english talent there's plenty of talent from birmingham um that doesn't just make you think of the 80s granted um in 2012 they used kate bush and now she's popping off so like hey maybe duran duran is gonna get an appearance on stranger things in season five and everyone's (laughs) gonna fall in love with them as well no, you see, I reckon Duran Duran's rise is going to come at about the Brisbane 2032 games. That's what we talk about, about 10, 12 years on. So <laughs> for that opening ceremony, all of a sudden, we're going to look back and go, that was a bloody masterstroke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for number four, we've got the very first set of medals at the Games, which was in the men's triathlon. And an Aussie took home bronze, which was Matt Hauser. Um Dan, you were the one that was ranting and raving about the triathlon when it happened. So why don't you get into this race a bit? So, I mean, this was a really interesting race and um, it wouldn't have shocked anyone that there were two uh, athletes who were just kind of ahead of everyone else in Alex Yee from Great Britain and Hayden Wilde from New Zealand. Alex Yee is the Olympic gold medalist, so it should have come as a shock to absolutely nobody that he would be at the front of the Commonwealth Games triathlon. But what was kind of interesting is that um, coming into T2, the second transition where they come off the bike and onto the run, uh, Hayden Wild was slapped with a 10 second penalty for taking his helmet off too early. So in a triathlon, your bike has to be in the rack and hands off 
before the helmet comes off. And he mistimed it by half a second, a couple of milliseconds. It was a really close call. But he got pinged with the 10-second penalty. And the worst part about that is because he got pinged while he was out on the run, he got to do the run knowing that in the last 200 metres, he would have to serve the 10-second penalty. So they're going out on the entire 5K run, him and Yi, and it had to have been in his mind the whole way. I am cooked. Like, this is coming, and this is going to be awful. Hefty and price to pay for not taking your helmet off at the right time, isn't it? It is, but, I mean, it, it's very technical, and it's a rule that goes down all the way. You know, kids doing little wheat picks triathlons, can't take your helmet off until the bike's in the rack. It's the same rule all the way up. And there was this beautiful moment with about 200 to go um, as Wild was pulling off to serve his penalty. You basically stand in a Sinbin area and wait your 10 seconds. Um, he gave you a, a high five, you know, congratulations. It's gold medals or yours. Because um, they ran together the whole way. Um, and then he obviously got to cross the line and have his gold medal and Matt Hauser, so only a couple of seconds behind, um, but after Hayden Wild served his penalty, which tells you how big a penalty it was, because he went from a gold chance to almost bronze, and um, Matt Hauser would know all about that, because four years ago, he finished fourth, just a matter of seconds off the podium. Um, but he did collect bronze, and that was the first bronze medal of the Games and the first medal for the Australians, and it's it's really only gone up from there, hasn't it? It's really snowballed from there, hasn't it? unbelievable that um wild like in the sense of that handoff of like letting him take the lead even before letting Yi take the lead even before he served the penalty but three seconds is a long time um as far as the difference between him and hauser but had hauser like changed his pace even a little bit towards that end he would have been in contention to have beaten wild um and Wild was like he would have been 16 seconds ahead had he not had to serve that penalty. So it's unfortunate for the Kiwi to miss out on that gold medal chance. But at the same time, like Alex Yee had a super performance as well. So you can't like take that away. <laughs> we got to the um post-race interview and um whoever it was had interviewed my house. He said, you know, it was only three seconds, you couldn't find anything else. And Matt said, Yeah, I, my coach told me, and I went. I'm going to be lucky if I can hang on for third. I'm exhausted <laughs> out here. There's no pick up your pace for second. It's don't lose any ground for fourth. <laughs> yeah, just fall over one meter from the line for 15 seconds and he's in fourth place. I mean, he, he did look like he was about to fall over when he crossed the line. He was absolutely cooked. That's triathletes in general, to be fair. Like oh, yeah. triathletes always look just absolutely knackered. After a race, Alex Yee looked really good considering um, everything that happened. And then to be like not falling over all over the place, knowing you've won a gold medal, like the rush of endorphins you must get is ridiculous knowing you've won that. Yeah. But we'll move on to number three, which is a cheat three because we've got two items in here. And that is in the cricket because on day one, the Aussies narrowly beat India, but in more shocking news, Barbados absolutely clobbered Pakistan. Incredible. So I was saying earlier that uh, I haven't seen heaps of these games so far, but uh, I did see this and I actually thought it was a typo. 
thought that can't be right. They've obviously got it back to front. Not Pakistan. This is like their national sport, I think, right? But uh, no, nah, it turns out it wasn't. You guys filled me in. We're like, no, Barbados did uh, did do them, and uh, that's that that's incredible. So yeah. Yeah, the group chat popped off when we realized that this has happened. And it was interesting because um, obviously Barbados also played Australia in the netball and um, it didn't quite go the same way. But <laughs> watching in the cricket, we yeah. went, well, maybe the cricketers can teach the netball as a thing or two about it. I did see that netball score. That was wild. That was, that was a proper ass-kicking, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. I think the over a third pod tweeted out that parental guidance was needed. Uh, a little <laughs> bit more than parental guidance was indeed for that match. But the Aussies narrowly beating India, I think might be a bit of a wake-up call for the Australian team because we've just been so good for so long. Um, and with Barbados smashing Pakistan, it's like, uh, that's our group. We've we still got to play Pakistan and Barbados. So, you know... Don't, don't go losing to Barbados. <laughs> it's like they are a West Indies country. And when they compete internationally, they do compete as the West Indies with other players. But damn. Like, I don't know if Pakistan's in like really bad shape at the moment or if Barbados is just kicking ass. <laughs> I think for the Australians, the issue was that um, we're not used to seeing Healy, Haynes, Lanning and Mooney all back in the sheds for single digits or close to. I mean, I don't know the last time that happened. I'd be happy to hear that it was a while ago. Um, and I'd probably uh, take a pretty good shake that um, it's not going to happen again anytime soon. And you do have to think that if the Aussies aren't going to rely on Alana King to hold up one end while Ash Gardner goes to work, they should be okay for the rest of the tournament. But it was a sight to see, I will say that. <laughs> I was, uh, all I was going to say is in cricket, you know, it's always a bit of a closed shop, same five or six countries that uh, tend to do well, just cyclically, you know, over a long period of time, I think you could throw a dart over five or six different nations and say, you know, they dominated this period. So I'm always for it when a Barbados or, or something like that manages to snag a victory or I, I, I like seeing it. I want to see more of it. I want to see some more upsets. Not against Australia, though. Let's be clear. I mean, if you're not Australian, women's cricket's pretty boring at the moment because it's like, oh, who we got this summer? Australia. Well, throw it in the bag. Like, what's, <laughs> what's the point? The point? Oh, World Cup. Australia's competing. West Group. <laughs> that said, I mean, the Aussies are so exciting. Darcy Brown is probably the most exciting bowler in all of world cricket for the women's game. You know, she is pushing the boundary and. Um, Rory and I talked about on the Top Edge podcast a few years ago, um, which is the Edge of the Crowds Cricket podcast, that we think she's going to break the speed record for women's cricket this summer, um, which is just so exciting to see for someone who still has her pee plates, as I understand it. Yeah, right. Wow. <clears throat> Way to make me feel old, Dan. Jeez. <laughs> it makes me feel old too, don't worry. <laughs> Um, but moving on to item number two from day one uh, and following the trend of Dan perpetually being wrong about cycling, the Australians are doing well um, in the track cycling. We have three gold medals from the first day. I did say the sprint would be okay. I said it was the endurance program I was worried about, but the sprints would be fine. 
And let me tell you, the sprints were fine. <laughs> we'll start at three gold medals. And uh, I've been banging the drum for Jess Gallagher for how long, Jackie? Yeah, since the last year, <laughs> since the Paralympics. <laughs> <laughs> and she did it in style, piloted with Caitlin Ward in the Tanner B1000 sprint. She, they never really looked challenged, the Australians. They kind of, they got into third gear. They got into fourth gear even, but they weren't ever really tested. Um, they were clearly the best pair in the field. And then we had the team sprints and the team sprints are a really unique track event as are most of the track cycling events to be fair, but it's essentially a three lap relay where all three riders ride the first lap and then one of them drops off and then two riders ride the second lap and one drops off. And the Aussie men were expected to smack everyone around and um as we record now the individual sprint has just finished and they've qualified in second fourth and fifth which tells you exactly where they're at as a team yeah i mean looking at the team pursuit for the women's um they absolutely smashed it they ended up shaving about two and a half three seconds almost off of the game's record that the aussies previously set in 2018 they, in the qualifying alone, beat the game's record by half a second and then shaved another 2.4 seconds off of that qualifying time in the final, um, which they beat the New Zealanders by 5.75 seconds. Which... So, so there's, there's a little bit in that because the New Zealanders, you, you have to have four riders to start a team pursuit, but New Zealand's second choice rider is a rider by the name of Ali Wollaston. And unfortunately for New Zealand, Ali Wollaston is currently sitting on a couch with a broken wrist from the Tour de France Femme last week. So they got a rider called Aless Edwards, who is a sprint rider, to sit in the start house to start with four riders, which is you start with four and you tend to finish with, you need three to cross the line to finish. So she started and peeled off instantly. Basically was like, I will tick the box for you to start. And then it's four on three for the rest of the race. And that's partly why the Aussies smacked the Kiwis around because New Zealand came in minus one of their biggest guns to bring to the fight. It's not even that they smacked the Kiwis around. Like they also smacked England, Wales and Canada who finished fifth overall around as well because England who were the bronze medal winners um, and granted they were in slower heats just generally, but their bronze medal final was a 4.17 uh, versus Australia's 4.12. Like, that's still a lot of time between the two teams. And England and Great Britain just generally aren't considered to be rubbish at track cycling by any means. I've got to be honest, mate. I'll take the win over the Kiwis any chance, any way I can get it, Dan. <laughs> you know, if we can get the hey. gold, take it home. Just quickly... Hey. I haven't watched a lot of the velodrome stuff. And I was, once again, this whole podcast is just me saying, well, earlier I said to you guys, but earlier I did say to you guys, I was, I didn't know about the seven plus situation. So I've been getting up in the morning, watching these twits on sunrise, but I can't <laughs> stand. And, um, but they were saying that uh, the Kiwis were doing all right in the velodrome. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, they did get their revenge in the individual pursuit where Bryony Bertha and this is kind of leaking into day two a little bit. Oh, um, okay. Did, did set a games record in the heats to qualify fastest in the individual pursuit and then proceeded to break the games record in the final. She almost caught Maeve Plouffe. So Maeve Plouffe, who was in the silver 
battle with her across the line about half a wheel length in front of Botha, except that she still had half a lap to go. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> so they, they did kind of get their revenge on that front. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we think... did it first in the team pursuit, right? So Botha was just being a copycat, let's be yeah. honest. Well, yeah. let's be real. Only the first medal counts. Um, we stopped the count after that point. New Zealand lost in the velodrome. But I just want to add an extra funny little thing. If you go on the Wikipedia page, maybe this will be different in a few hours' time. But uh, for the team pursuit, Meeve Kloof's name is written as Meeve Sploof, which I like to think that that was from a bitter Kiwi that, like, just was really mad that the Aussies won and that's who they've got to taken it out of. Maeve and um, Georgia Baker, who is the other kind of key endurance right in there, they're two of the brightest talents in Australian cycling. Um, we've been expecting them to transition to the road program, and they've basically said, well, we wait for the Commonwealth Games, win some medals, and then come across. And um, it's fair to say that would be a job done, as we call that, I think. <laughs> so some medals in the future on the, uh, in the road events from these two you're expecting, Dan? Uh, I'm expecting um, impacts on uh, SBS watching the uh, women's peloton from these two. Um, the last couple of Aussies to do that were Alex Manley, who's been top 10 in multiple Tour de France Femme stages so far this year. Um, so, you know, it goes all right. Okay. Well, watch this space. Can't wait for it. <laughs> uh, and moving on to our last item for the day. Top item is... for the day. Come on. Oh, sorry. It's our... a number oh. one. Our top item for the day uh, was the swimming, of course, but in particular, the two podium sweeps that came in the men's 400-metre freestyle and, less surprising, the women's 200-metre freestyle. Jackie, how much do you love a podium sweep? It is one of my favourite little statistical breadcrumbs to get thrown into a Wikipedia page. (laughs) Um, and the fact that Australia has two of them already, c'est magnifique. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, women's 200, was that the, uh, was that the one with the 18-year-old kid? I can't remember her name. She pushed yep. Titmus all the way? That, that yep. was the one where if it was a 210-metre race, Molly O'Callaghan might be the Commonwealth Molly Games O'Callaghan. gold medalist. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, my God, she came home like a house on fire. I, and, yeah. I mean, that, that's impressive given that we know that the Terminator is known for her finishes. Um, yeah, yes, it, um, was, it was really hard not to drop that in the recap article. I, I won't lie. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, Titmus breaking a games record, no surprise, no skin off her back. But there wasn't much in it between herself and Callahan. And Callahan's only going to get better. Like, that's the thing that, like, cannot be underestimated in that Brisbane is 10 years away. She'll only be 28. Like there is every chance she'll be a multiple time gold medal winner by that time. And just looking on top of the world. Well, let's not forget. It's not like Arnie Titmus is exactly a, you know, grizzled old veteran. No, She's 21. Oh, Jesus. So we're looking all right in women's swimming for the next uh, decade or so. So yeah, the last me. decade and the next decade, and you know, by the time we get there, probably the one after that. <laughs> yeah, if women's swimming is looking bad, then there'll be a problem. <laughs> we all saw how this country reacted 
to London 2012's results in the pool. Anytime we end up with only one gold medal, <laughs> there will be riots in the streets at this point. Given the Kaylee McEwen, Molly O'Callaghan, Arnie Titmus age bracket, I'm uh, reasonably confident that we've got a few years before that's an issue. <laughs> Good to hear. But in the other podium sweep for Australia, uh, we had the boys, and that was, I mean, the the gold medalist. It's just funny at this point. Elijah Winnington took home gold uh, for the Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> and in right. the silver medal position, we had Sam Short. Uh, he was just a little beat, bit, little bit short of the last. Slightly off. Who beat, you know, Olympic gold medalist Mac Horton. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> So we're looking pretty tidy over there too. The men's program is looking pretty pretty set as well. Yeah. I mean, this was a nice redemption for Winnington who really bombed at um, Tokyo 2020. He was expected to, to pick up a number of medals and I don't think he made the final in the men's 400 from memory. Yeah, his name was, um, he was more Losington than Winnington, right? Yeah, and he, he talked about how hard it was to come back to swimming after that. Um, and to get back in the water, but it's great to see it rewarded with a gold medal because, I mean, we love a podium sweep and we love the Aussies dominating, but more than anything else, we love a redemption story, don't we? You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, we love a comeback story, mate. And, uh, you know, losing to Winnington. It's going to be a movie one of these days. Um, I Definitely think not like... going to be called that. Sorry, Stewie. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood's not calling you. <laughs> Not for naming rights, at least. I think that what can't be underestimated is how dominant Australia is in this event. Um, we're dominant in the pool alone, but of the 22 times that the 400-meter freestyle has been run for the men, Australia's won 17 times. Um, just a That's few. a hell of a stat, Jackie. But to, also, to be also fair, I think Thorpe plus Hackett plus Perkins is about nine of them between them. Well, th- actually... Thorpe and her Thorpe and Perkins are only three of them. Um, but Thorpe's Commonwealth Games record and well, Commonwealth record and games record have stood since 2002. And they were three seconds off it uh, in this final. Like that record is just so ridiculous. And men's 400 free is so far away from the super suit era still that it's it's a question of how long until it can be touched because right now they're still swimming 343s well yeah and there's that um 09 world record that is uh i think from memory it's 341 and they're just like nowhere close yeah it's a 340 it's actually only one hundredth of a second quicker than thorpe's record which again it's still like losing the super suit changed everything in swimming for the men's especially these massive distance events All but you know australia is still super competitive <laughs> so <laughs> that helps um but another like a mention does go to daniel whiffen who despite qualifying first just missed off the podium um and ended up finishing fourth in the final so Maybe he should have left a little bit in his tank, I guess, um, after that qualifying. But he still swam a 346-62. And he, like, easily beat out an Englishman, which I think 
will help everyone's mood in Northern Ireland. <laughs> Everyone loves it when the English lose, the Scots, the Welsh, the Northern Irish, the Kiwis, and the Australians. We all love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what the Commonwealth Games is for, is everyone in the Commonwealth trying to beat England, and then gold medals along the way are bonuses. But <laughs> we'll move on to day two, where we haven't included a dishonourable mention because... Look, it can't get much worse than some of the nonsense from the opening ceremony. Uh, and coming in at number five for our top moments was the Hockey Roos demolishing Kenya, uh, winning 8-0, which, I mean, could it have been more potentially? But at the same time, like, an 8-0 win is pretty big in hockey. It's like an 8-0 win in soccer. Yeah, I was just saying, it, it's comparative to a soccer margin. And... um. Eight wheel is almost rude. Like there comes a point at which you're like, although to be fair, Australians can't exactly talk about being rude after what the men's sevens did with a 62 nil win and what the diamonds did with a 95 18 win on day one for each of those teams. I mean, that is rude. It's almost to the point where being an Australian at the Commonwealth games is a uh, performance enhancing drug. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, <laughs> This is maybe one for after the Commonwealth Games when we do a, a wrap-up, Jackie, but um, there's a fair bit to be said about the discrepancy in resourcing and funding for these elite sports in Australia and the rest of the world. And uh, while it may not show at the Olympics, it's uh, pretty clear at the Commonwealth Games. I remember when I was a kid, the Commonwealth Games used to be a lot tighter, you know? The, it was closer up the top of the Commonwealth Games, but you look at the medal tally now and might as well just call it Australia wins the Commonwealth Games. Just change it from the Commonwealth Games to the Australia wins games because we I mean, can win everything. We are, as of recording, 38 gold medal, uh, sorry, 48 gold medals short of 1,000 gold medals in Commonwealth Games history, as I, if I, my math is right. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of speaks for itself there, I think. So are we likely to win that many gold medals at this Games or what? Yeah, probably yes. Thursday. Probably Thursday, maybe Wednesday <laughs> if we had a good day. Um, it's not a question of will we, it's a question of when will we, I think. Yeah, um, right. And part of why that is, is uh, our number four mentioned today, which are the three medals that we've picked up in swimming relays so far, <laughs> out of three swimming relays so far. Yeah, um, like uh, Australia loves themselves a gold medal in a relay. There's a reason why the women do it at every Olympics. And the boys even said in their post-relay interview to uh, Kate Campbell that they've let the women win it for long enough. They thought it was their turn to win a gold medal as a men's relay team. And they did it emphatically so. Um, and then you've also got to throw on which, look, it was day one, we're not going to lie, but we're going to include it on day two, is the Mixed Relay Gold, which is Dan's favourite event, uh, where they smashed it out of the park in the Freestyle Mixed Relay. I mean, when Molly O'Callaghan got in the water, she had clear clear water for a way. And then she swam a 52.6 split, which is uh, somewhere between crazy and absurd. The only thing that might be more crazy than that is that it wasn't the fastest split of the two women because Emma McKeon got in the pool after her and said, anything you can do, I can do 0.4 of a second faster. 
which is about <laughs> what she did. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very specific thing she can do. Anything, anything better than Molly O'Callaghan. 0.4 of a second faster. I mean, I think by the time it's all said and done, um, Molly O'Callaghan will be right up there with Emma McKeon's record, which she now has for the most Commonwealth medals and most Commonwealth gold medals of anyone, uh, passing Thorpey, Liesl Jones, and Patria Thomas, which is a um, it's a, a handy list to be a part of and very handy list to be ahead of. Late company. Yeah, and just to like touch back on your um question, Stewie, about whether it's even possible for Australia to get what was it, forty three additional gold medals? We won eighty in Brisbane. Um, now home home games advantage, very different. But I don't. I, it's like sixty realistic. <laughs> um, oh, we are sending yeah, our biggest it? overseas wow. contingent ever, so with that is an expect an expectation that we're gonna win a bucket load of medals and a place where we're quite likely to win another gold is our number three item of the day and that is in the rugby sevens for the women's because despite the sadness of the olympics in tokyo uh australia did beat new zealand in the final uh in the semi-final and i mean i think it's just injected some life back into the women's rugby sevens team that like we thought we were missing because they kept two clean sheets in their group stage matches and then went on to beat New Zealand 12-17 or 12-19. Anytime we beat the Kiwis is a good day for me. That's fantastic. (laughs) I am conscious that Jackie put the Moz on on the team who still has to play Fiji, who are generally recognized as one of the best sevens teams in the world in both the men's and the women's and um the fiji women have already beaten the australians in this competition um so it is going to be a big challenge to get there but it's definitely not impossible what was the score first time around oh i didn't i didn't get all the way through i have to say i got to like halfway through the second half and went I can't watch this anymore and threw it out in disgust. <laughs> yeah, they're like 20-minute games. Uh, it was 12-19 against Fiji. But also, I mean, I'm I'm a big believer in you've got to lose one to win one. Um, and this could be what we need. Like, we're playing Fiji in the final. We lost to Fiji. This is like 2005-2006 West Coast v. Sydney era. <laughs> well, that feels I like a poke right. that was... That was a poke that was totally unnecessary, Jackie, and you know it. <laughs> hey, both of our sides won a grand final. But, yeah, the women's rugby sevens are doing magnificent, obviously, and the men's are doing very well as well. Um, they had a 62-0 win against Jamaica, a 12-all win against Uganda. Oh, not sorry, a 12-all draw <laughs> against Uganda, which featured... Probably my favorite moment of rugby sevens I've ever seen. And the Com Games have been sharing it on TikTok to their Titanic music, where um, one of the Ugandan players just lifted another player up into the air and held him there for a solid 20 seconds as he caught the ball. Um, it, it was very impressive. And then the Australians didn't really know what to do when it came to tackling him, which is the added fun. That's the problem is you can't tackle a player in the air because that's an immediate yellow card. And you can't tackle a player who's lifted another player into the air because that's an immediate red card for a dangerous tackle. So you're kind of left 
to just deal with him. But um, the Ugandans didn't just get that one in because not long afterwards, Corey O'Toole got stood up in a tackle and they couldn't get a more going, but they also couldn't get him down for a ruck. So what they did is the four of them picked him up and carried him the 20 metres across the field <laughs> over the sideline and dumped him out. Look. It worked. This is fantastic. I'm missing a trick by not watching this. One of you guys got to send me that TikTok, by the way. I've got to see that shit, man. <laughs> I mean, anyone that says, that, like, oh, rugby union's too boring, like, we've got to, like, change it up for rugby union, just let Ugandans play more with your tests. Clearly, they make it very entertaining. I, I think and the they're obviously is, not bad. <laughs> the problem is the refereeing in the 15s game. It's not the fact that there's only seven people on the field in sevens. That has nothing to do with it. <laughs> nothing at all, Jackie. Come on. <laughs> yes, maybe I've been a little bit uh, overstating it a little bit. But we might move on to our number two item from day two. And that is Katya Dedekind, uh, who smashed out a world record in the women's 50 freestyle in the S13 class, swimming at 26.56. And because the S13 is a visually impaired category, Katya didn't actually realise that she'd broken the world record because it was just so loud uh, at the pool. Um, So it wasn't until she was with the commentary team with some of her fellow Aussie athletes but they were giving an interview and we're like, do you realize what's happened? And she admitted that she had no idea. And so she got to find out from the Aussie commentators. Well, it's not even that. She didn't know the result. She got out of the pool and (laughs) and none of the swimmers had knew who'd won because it was so loud. It's a visually impaired class. So then not only, you know, and she asked, well, how did I go? How did I go? And that was when Kate Campbell said, well, how does, world record holder sound to you (laughs) and that was the first of these two moments that had me like welling up in tears of like this is just an unbelievable moment i was just gonna say commonwealth games olympic games you know you always get one or two of these moments and if you you're lucky enough to to snag it live it's uh it's you know it's just it's, it's really special it's one of those things that only like what do you call it at the start of the pod? Multi-sport event? These big multinational multi-sport events that we have. Olympics, Commonwealth Games, that they tend to they just do them better than anyone else. Yeah, and the fact that she got to share the podium with uh Aussie Kiralee Hayes and also Jenna Jones, who was another Australian, finished in fourth. Um it, it's great for the Australian swimming program, but it's also great to see the camaraderie around those girls, especially reacting to Katya finding out that she'd won because not only does she like get to find that out, but she gets to immediately celebrate it with her peers. And I say, I have really enjoyed, and this is the second Paralympic, uh, second Commonwealth Games where we've had this, but the integrated Paralympic program where we've got para-athletes mixing and matching, you know, that they're, they're in the middle of these events. You know, we've got tracks like we've got tandem, then team sprint, you know, able-bodied. And in the swimming, we've got a mix of the Paralympic swimmers and the able-bodied swimmers. And having that mix um, has just been, been awesome. Um, it's so good to see them get that recognition on this world stage. Really, it's not the same as the Olympic stage, but it's still a pretty cool thing. And then to see um, it actually as we'll talk about in a minute, can sometimes give you a little bit of a hint 
about what might be to come for the able-bodied athletes as well. Yeah, I mean, our final item from day two uh, does include both para-athletes and able-bodied athletes, and that is the Aussie performances in the marathon. Um, we might start with, like, the not the big one um, because Liam Adams, uh, who is not a professional athlete, despite the fact that he's competing at the Commonwealth Games, finished in fourth in the marathon men's marathon event. Um and was kind of the pace setter for most of it. Yeah, well, he, he was out in front from about three Ks in. He went on the attack. And for about the next 30 kilometers, he sat between eight and 30 seconds in front of the main pack, just kind of hanging off the front, keeping them honest. And he he stretched it out and he made it a really hard race. And it, it's an incredibly tough course, that Birmingham Marathon course. The last 5Ks have what looks like monstrous hills for these marathon runners. Um, and he dragged the pace up so that even though when they got there, um, they were exhausted and that probably helped him. But also 2.13 for the course that they ran is incredibly quick. Um, and, you know, it's not quite his PB. I think his PB is 2.11, but to do it on a course like that is a huge effort. Phenomenal, considering he's like Jackie mentioned, he's, he's not even a professional athlete. That's uh, yeah, true. Will and truly deserves the uh, well to share the number one spot of uh, our day two top five. Yeah, the fact that he's gonna go home and continue being a Sparky when it's like, mate, you deserve, and this is nothing against Sparkies, you deserve sponsorships and to be able to go compete internationally as you please rather than having to like carve out this sort of thing in your record book uh in your calendar it's it's just unfortunate that this sort of like sport doesn't pay good money because he clearly has the talent to be doing this internationally on the regular despite how hard it is well and this was his first proper altitude prep he had a month at altitude in St. Moritz with the endurance group before um, and it wasn't his great prep. He had uh, injuries and sickness. And then a week out from the games, after his last big run session, after icing up, he stepped on a bee, got stung in the foot and had a swollen foot coming into the marathon. I mean, talk about really having it up. Is it? You think you're right. I've got a good prep. I'm going to altitude for a month. Sickness, injury, bee sting comes to the Commonwealth Games against professional, you know, full-time marathon runners to, to get fourth is unbelievable for Liam Adams. Yeah, yeah and sickness, then... injury, fair enough. But by the time the beasting come around, I'd be just about ready to chuck it in. I'd be thinking someone upstairs got in for me. I wouldn't, I'd just think it was jinxed, but uh, good on him. Uh, and then we've got the women's events and we'll start with the obvious gold medal winner. And that is Madison D Rosario, who, you know, wins gold medals for fun, wins, wins marathon races in the T30, uh, T54, T53 events just for fun, makes it look easy um, because she, as always, smashed it out of the park and set another games record of an hour 56 on this course i was gonna say didn't she win by like four minutes in a chair that was zip tied together that's yeah, it. That's, so that's incredible 
her chair was damaged by uh, airline staff on the flight over. Um, and she said, you know, she's not sure it's going to hold up for the track racing. Um, but 156 is uh, actually very slow for Madison. Um, her PB is a 138. And that tells you exactly how hard this course is. Um, that, you know, she set a games record 18 minutes off her best. Um, oh because it was just such a brutal final couple of Ks uphill. And there were times it looked like that the wheelchair athletes in particular were almost coming to a standstill going up the hills in the last two Ks because that's how steep they were. I did see her on uh, Bloody Sunrise. I was seeing her on Bloody Sunrise getting interviewed and she was saying that uh, it was uh, probably one of the hardest, you know, final few kilometers of a of a racing career finishing that marathon in Birmingham. I mean looking at those hills, it's not surprising. Like that course is just ridiculous. And the fact that Supermum Jess Stenson then went out and won the women's marathon just unbelievably so I think for a lot of people. Um, that was probably one of the moments of the game so far. Um, like we've obviously got it at our number one for a reason, but it could go down as the Australian moment of the games just two days in. So was she expected to do well in this race? Like, was she a medal hope? Was she I mean, one of our gold medal hopes? Marathons are hard to predict. She does have a Commonwealth Games bronze medal and a Commonwealth Games fourth place in the marathon previously. So we knew she could do it, but um, we didn't have anyone. And really, she wasn't expected to be the first of the Australians either. Um, Sinead Diver and Eloise Wellings were probably expected to finish in front of her. And to their credit, the Supermums all finished in the top five. Um, Wellings in fourth and Diver in fifth. Um, but it was just an unbelievable run from, from Stenson. She basically just left the opposition behind over the last 10Ks. Yeah, and it can't be forgotten that, like, this is an event that the Kenyans also do very well at, um, typically. There was actually only one Kenyan runner at this uh, Commonwealth game, so I think that that might have influenced things a little bit. But, yeah, she finished over half... Oh, sorry. She finished just under 30 seconds ahead of Margaret Muriki, um, which, to say that she beat her, and then she also beat... Uh, Hilalia Johannes from Nambia. Like, these are experienced marathon runners. Just Jess Stenson is an experienced marathon runner. But at the same time, like, those were probably more the gold medal favorites compared to Jess, who was a favorite to make the podium, but not necessarily win the whole event. <laughs> so we have three in the top five. Yes. Wow, that is, uh, that's incredible. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's a little bit ridiculous in some respects, I think, because we just don't expect it from our athletes very often. No, no, no not at all. <laughs> and that moment, um, for me, actually, the moment that brought me to tears wasn't um, Stenson crossing the line. It was actually when uh, Wellings crossed the line and Stenson was there, standing about five metres on, hands up in the air, cheering on her friend. And then the hug that they shared for about, 12 15 seconds before Sinead Diver joined in and then there was the three of them in a hug and then they all went looking for their kids and like that was the moment for me that had had the heartstrings going 
because um, it was so exciting to see all their families there. And then um, a few hours later, a clip surfaced online of um, Eloise Wellings pushing Jess Denson in a pram up the hill after the race because <laughs> uh, gold medalists don't walk up hills after marathons. But apparently fourth places will push them. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, I don't know how you walk for like three days after running the marathon because... I mean, half that distance and I don't walk for three days, let yeah. alone a full marathon. <laughs> I just like, my poor feet. My feet couldn't take it, let alone the rest of my body. <laughs> um, but it's been but... an action-packed couple of days um, and there's plenty more to come, isn't there, Jackie? Yeah, I mean, day three has currently started for us. By the time this pod comes out, day three will be pretty much done. Uh, and, you know, the Aussies are expected to do really well. I'm, I'm not going to guarantee it, but I'd say a podium sweep in the women's 53 is uh, going to happen overnight for us. So if we're not talking about that next episode, I called it very wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that'll be a dishonorable mention if we're not talking about that in our next episode <laughs> dishonorable mention jackie <laughs> um but stewie would you like to share your social media handles and maybe what other podcasts we can find you on as well okay you can find me on goals on film a lot of fun me and jace we uh we love talking about movies occasionally we have other people jump on with us uh it's a good time man goals on film check it out uh, after extra times back for the uh, European soccer season, if that's your bag, um, hit me up at Stewie is sick of it on Twitter at Stewie the Sports Guy on Instagram and TikTok. And Dan, <laughs> and uh, at this point, I feel like you know I, I need to come up with a better script because you can find me at Decouple wherever you get your social media fix, unless it's Tumblr. Um, too bad I'm not there. Sorry. You can find me at Dodzy161 on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. This has been Ascending Olympus. You can find us at Ascending Olipod on Twitter and Instagram. Ascending Olympus is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find us at Edge of the Crowd um, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. As Dan puts it, all good social media sites. Um, we're also not on Tumblr, but we are on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in a few days.